Hall. Welcome once again to the Winning Edge Investments podcast. My name is Mark Haywood, and the guest for today's interview is somebody who a lot of punters out there will be familiar with. Uh, it's Richard Irvine. He's a full-time punter in his own right, but he's also somebody who's been around racing and punting for a long time now, and he's got a pretty interesting background in terms of a lot of work he's done uh, for lobbying on behalf of, of other punters and improving things for punters in their, their never-ending battle with the bookmakers. So, yeah, it should be a good chat, so let's get into it. So welcome to our guest today, Richard Irvine. Thanks for joining us, Richard. Hey, Mark, how you going, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Um, yeah, uh, just forgot you on as um, someone with a bit of an interesting background in the punt and uh, punt-related activity. So, did you just want to um, tell us a bit about yourself and your background in racing and in punting? Yeah, happily, mate. Um, I've sort of been in the game 20, bit over, I think 21 years. Um, I like to sort of keep a record simply because I, I love it so much and it's always a bit of an, an Accomplishment each year when I think oh, that's another year well by that I've managed to stay involved in the game. And yep. um, back when I left school, I started working for a bookie and worked with him for about six or seven years, and that was a pretty good grounding. And then from there, I sort of did a bit of sort of commission agent stuff. I started putting money on for for other people, mostly the Bartholomew brothers who were sort of kicking in the gear. That was about like, 15 years ago, so when they were really starting to come into their own. So I did that with them for. Quite a while, probably five years maybe. Mm. And then I think around the time of EI, um, a lot of the race structure initiatives closed down and that sort of stopped me going to races. So then I started sort of getting online a bit more and also at that time online really started to take over anyway and um, I started you know, just uh, betting in my own right and, um, and at the time the whole industry digitalised a lot and you could access information so much more readily. And yep. I sort of, yeah, just started to um, get whatever I could off the internet and play around with as much as I could um, to put some sort of form together. And then I also combined that with the trading skills that I've learned from um, you know, my time at the track and also trying to sort of absorb as much information off other successful tunnels as I could over the years. And slowly and steadily, I got better and better at it, and um, and that still continues today. You're always trying to do better, and it's never game over. You've always got to. Um, the second that you think that uh, that you've got the game worked out, you'll get spat out very very quickly. So um, yeah, that's sort of the, the background. Hey, great. And you um, obviously got a background in racing. You're, you're strictly racing when it comes to the punch. Yeah, I'm strictly racing or hopeless at sport. Um, I can't bear the torture of it too. Like this is racing, you have a bet and it's all over in one or two minutes that we thought you've got to grind it out for 80 or 100 minutes and yeah, I just, uh, certainly makes you watch the game more intensely and, and uh, a better experience when you're on the winner, but when you're not on the winner, um, it's pretty shit. And, uh, I also, I um, really, really love sport and to be honest, I don't really need to bet on it because just the, uh, just the game and spectacle itself is enough for me. Yep. And you're a, you're a Sydney lad, born and bred? Yep, yep, always been in Sydney, yeah, and, uh, sure. travelled quite extensively to a lot of race tracks sort of early on, um, yep. before I sort of started just getting solely online, and that was great, that was a great experience to, uh, to meet a lot of people, and yeah, it's just, uh, to see the, the whole fabric of the industry, 
up close is really good as well. And is New South Wales racing, I guess, your sole focus now, or do you spread yourself No, I bet everywhere. I try to bet um, everywhere. I'm just trying to sort of turn over as much as I can. Yeah. Um, turn over as much as I can profitably, of course, and uh, it doesn't matter to me where, whether it's Broome on a Saturday evening or, you know, um, the Everest at Randwick on a Saturday. If I think that there's some sort of edge there, I'm going to try and exploit it. Yeah, good one. Um, I guess, yeah, part of the reason we got you on and um, I guess how you, you came to be a bit better known in the industry was your work with fair wagering and I guess the rights of punters. Um, how did you come to be interested in that and uh, where did that all start? Yeah, it was pretty well documented. Um, I've sort of spoken at length about it and, and, and happy to continue to. But I mean, I think when I say well documented, I think everybody knows that, um, you know, that the online book probably basically treated everybody like shit and um, they were in some ways allowed to get away with it for for a period of time and then there was sort of a rear action by punters and um, I kind of, I guess I did probably lead the way mostly sort of by default in the sense that no one else really wanted to um, to take it on because punters are pretty clandestine and like to keep it themselves and no one really wanted the exposure and I didn't particularly want any exposure as well and, um, but it just had to happen because we were just being treated like mugs and, uh, and, you know, the, the question needed to be asked is, well, if we're going to have this industry in, this, in society, it's either going to be fair, um, in terms of people knowing what they're going to get, or it needs to be fair in terms of everyone being welcomed in. And when I say people being fair in terms of people knowing what, what they're going to get, well, what they need, what punters needed to know, if they're not going to be allowed to win, they needed to know that. Um, and they didn't at the time. It was all basically just a con job by the bookies and, um, and, uh, and, you know, they got away with it for a while and they've been, uh, brought into line now and, and, and brought into line, not just on that, but on, on other issues around the way that they were running their businesses and we can talk a bit about that later and, um, mm. you know, and I, and I'm not trying to throw too many stones at the bookies, but they're very important to the industry and, and I liked dealing with them, and um, I thought they were probably, for the most part, playing the game by the rules at the time. The rules at the time needed to change, and they've been changed, and, and to their credit, pretty much all of them have just said, yeah, okay, fair enough, we'll, uh, we'll adhere by these minimum bet rules that have been brought in, um, and that's, that's great. Hey, sure, so you mentioned you started punching it's a bit more seriously or working with bookmakers around 20 years ago. Um, what was the scene like then? Was it, I guess, all those who weren't around, all, all on, I guess, on track hunting? Yeah, it was. And even then, when I got the track, and I mean, I was from the first day. I'd never actually been to the races until I worked for Bookie for one day, and I was instantly sort of mesmerised by it and thought, "This is average. This is it for me." And um, yeah, even back then, I, I'd start talking to people and asking questions, and a lot of people would say, "Oh, it's dying out here," and it was to a degree. Um, mm. But they used to say, you know, you should have sent the cash back 10, 20 years ago. But even back when I started, there was still pretty good, pretty good, um, you know, pretty good amounts of cash out of it. I think that, that cash is all, is completely gone from the races now. You know, there'd be, you'd still get, I mean, I used to do the bag and you'd get people walking up having 5,000, you know, or 1,000 on things constantly. You know, you'd never know them and you'd never see them again. Um, I think that that probably just never happens anymore with those on course bookies. Um, so look, it was, uh, it was, um, changing on course, but if I'm going to compare what the marketplace is like now to what it was like back 20 years ago, it's much, much better for punters now. Um, 
because there's just it's so much easier to, to bet um, and you can bet on because there's a minimum bet limit. And I think racing is much more professional and much more organised and I think it's easy to do the form. Sure, there is still some corruption and rorting within racing, but I think that it's pretty well kept under wraps. I mean, obviously, that whole Aquanita thing down in Melbourne was a reminder to everyone that we can never, ever rest on it, and um, and it's always going to be there to some degree. Um, mm. But for the most part, um, I think it's not too bad. Some people might disagree with me, um, but, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So I guess on the the fair wagering thing, um, you've seen. I guess the, in terms of online betting, you've seen a, a lot of the you probably call it the life cycle in Australia. Um, what were things like? I guess at their worst before a few and other punters started to um, push back a little bit. Yeah, um, it was getting pretty bad. I mean, it was you know like the classic example was Labrox opened up operation and I. Um, opened up an account, put $5,000 in, and literally within two minutes of me depositing the money, I saw the computer sort of suddenly log me out, and I thought that was pretty weird. Tried to log back in and said, and I couldn't log back in, I called them and said, what's going on? This is probably about, when was this, 2013, I think it was. Um, and they were just like, no, you can't bet with us, we know who you are, don't bother. And I just was like, like that, I mean, that was a red flag for me, I said, enough's enough, like, We've got to stand up against this. Like, mm. an organisation can come in from another country and know me by my name and tell me that I'm not welcome within my own industry. Mm. It's just not on, and this needs to be exposed and, and discussed and decisions that need to be made. And those, the decisions that needed to be made could have gone against me and, and, and the authorities and the government could have said that they can act like that, but the moral and ethical argument was too strong and, and we yeah. won out, which was great. Yeah, sure. The major, you mentioned minimum bet rules. Um, they're the major improvement that's happened. Oh, look, I think, it, is that the major improvement that's happened with the bookies? Yeah. Oh, look, um, yeah, absolutely, because, you know, that's the most important thing, because if we can't have the council bookies and get our bets on, then we're not in the game. But beyond that, um, no, the, uh, the competition that has gone on between the tabs and all the corporates has been great, because the innovation of new bet types and um, and also all the promotions and and <clears throat> offers and stuff that bookmakers have and I think the market is certainly more competitive with its kick odds because of this sort of digitalisation and innovation the bookmakers have um have brought about and yeah, I, I think that sure I'm a critic of a lot of things the bookmakers were doing, but one thing that they have done very, very well is made betting for punters easier and more enjoyable and, and, and that's great. Um, so that's improved a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably really the bookies that, 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 that they have done for punters. I mean, in terms of the industry, there's the whole argument about what they pay back to the industry, um, which is sort of a, a side topic to that. Um, yep. Yeah. Hmm. I guess just moving on to um, one that's been in the news a lot is the the new point of consumption taxes that each of the states have bought in um, as an additional tax on, on bookmakers in terms of the, the tax they already pay. Um, just 
once you get your take on that, and also a lot of people say, well, it's, it's a tax on bookmakers, so it's, it's not on punters. Um, what's your take, and, and what does it actually mean for punters? Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's certainly not going to give us more value, and anyone who says that it's a tax on bookies and, and not on punters don't understand the industry, simply because all of these bookies that they've put this tax on, none of them were making any money, and... Yes, a lot of their money, a huge amount of their money was going towards marketing, um, and their, and, and staff and IT and all that kind of stuff. So, if they're going to try, you know, if they're going to try and start making some money, they're going to have to cut back. So, how are they going to do that? They're going to cut back on marketing, probably. They're going to cut back on staff, maybe a little bit, but they're also going to cut back on their <clears throat> value, I guess, that they present to punters um, to try and gouge a bit more out of punters. And it'll definitely happen. I mean, it happened last time when the, uh, the fees went up and I went and looked at it and found clear evidence of that. Um, so, look, it's not great, but it's encouraging that um, New South Wales and Victoria have brought out a more modest one with 8% and 10% respectively. It's, and it's still a pretty stupid tax, like, nowhere else in the world has it, and there's no precedent anywhere, um, to support it, but it's here now. And I think basically what, what's happening is that the, the regulators and the governments around Australia, the racing regulators and the government, have basically said, well, we're okay if fixed odds is going to become the sort of the main area of turnover on racing, but we're not going to lose out because of that. And so what they're doing is making sure that, you know, when with the tab for the last 30 or 40 years, look, I think racing gets six or seven cents in the dollar and the government gets maybe four cents and then the extra sort of you know, seven or eight cents that's left over would go to Tab Corp or one of the other tabs. And so basically what's happening now is the government are basically coming in and saying, we want 4% of it, and whether that probably comes by GST and now this point of consumption tax and GST's collected federally and the point of consumption tax is collected at state level. And then the racing bodies are trying to get at least 6 or 7 cents in the dollar as well, and that's completely fair enough and completely justified. You know, we can't go from having a vibrant tote market that's supporting some of the best prize money in the world to, to having media returns from fixed odds. Um, so that needs to happen. So I think that Probably six odds has been a um, has been great for punters for the last little while because it's been a, a better value option. But that's probably going to get harder now because the bookies are going to hit their percentages up around 120. Um, percent mm. And of course, it is it is a moving market. And if you're smart enough and you come in at the at the top of that market when everything settles down and the, you know you can go and look at every single price that's better each horse. The, the top fluctuation of the market would probably will, would certainly drop from about 120 percent, which is sort of 125 percent, which is actually set down to about 100 percent. Of course, there's a lot of skill involved in being able to catch horses at the top of the market. Um, so, yeah. So, look, I think that fixed odds people are people are generally you know punters. Many punters are are a hope to bet. Sorry, to, to be able to win betting fixed odds. I think virtually no one's a hope to be able to bet. Just straight into the tote, you know, at 117, 118%. Um, and yeah, so, um, so that kind of 
is another push just in other areas. Well, what are we going to do to, to reinvigorate the coast? Um, mm. And it needs serious attention because, I mean, how can it not die? You know, like it's, I mean, it's such a, a boring way to bet. And I mean, I, like our generation, like I'm pushing 40. Mm. I mean, there's no way any of us are going to go to tabs and the tabs are, you know, the, the tab retail outlets. They have, they're up their own little community and that's great. People like going down there and, um, putting their bets on with their mates and having a chat and, you, you know, you're, you're part of a little community and that's great. But I, I, I think that if the days of the tab are numbered, yes. is why when you just put the bet on on your phone or why when you put it on with a, with a bookie who's going to offer you 10% better odds than you're going to get with the tab anyway. So, mm. um, so I think there needs to be a bit of a reckoning there that the tab needs to get more realistic about their takeout. Yep. Um, and, uh, and yeah, hopefully by having a less takeout, you increase turnover to the point where racing the tab aren't worse off financially because of it. Mm. So I guess the full view of the future of the industry, just on that, do, do you think the tote has a future? Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, it has to have a future. I mean, it's such an important part of the funding model. Um, but, and, the, you know, maybe Tabcorp have done some financial modelling and maybe they have done some financial modelling looking at dropping the takeout rate and they've found that either punters aren't quite sensitive enough to care that they need to do it or it just doesn't make economic sense for the industry to do it. I tend to think that that's a pretty naive attitude, um, and it would be great if we can find out. Yeah, maybe you could do that from your position, find out what's going on with that, and, 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 and is, there, is there any plan for reinvigorating the post? Mm. But um, I think Tadcorp really like big dogs. I think they make really good money out of it, um, so they're going to keep pushing that. Um, so, yeah... I mean, I would think, look, for the next 10 years, absolutely the Pope has a place. But 10 years beyond that, I can't see it lasting at any current model because it's just, it'd just be so outdated by then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess uh, another another model and another format in the market is Betfair and the exchange. Do you use that much yourself? Use it all the time. I think it's fantastic. I think that they, that Betfair is probably going to become the place to put your bets on because of this whole point of consumption issue and bets are in a, a pretty good position everywhere except for New South Wales where they are charged on profit and not on um, turnover. Um, I know that happens in New South Wales and that's a bit, a bit of a headache for them, which yeah. I think needs to be, be changed and addressed simply because bets are such an important part of the market now. And if you took bets away, it would have such a negative impact. And then, the liquidity I feel is climbing and climbing and climbing, and I'd be interested to know if that's backed up by, you know, Betfair's own um, statistics. Um, and I, I think that because, back to my point, I think that because they pay on profit, they can um, afford to allow punters to have good odds because the commissions that we're going to pay will not be as onerous as we're going to get from the corporate bookies who really have to have a fair amount of percentage in their fixed odds market to pay all these taxes and, 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 and expenses that they have. And I really noticed that 
with a minute to go. You look at the bookies and they're 460. You look at Betfair and they're 520. And you can get on for whatever you want. And you just, you know, and I understand that 520 on Betfair once you take away commission probably, I don't know, rounds down to maybe 480 or 490. But it's still just that little bit better than the bookies. And, and it's just easy to just get on. Like the fact that there's just so much liquidity there is great, you know. Um, you just, you know, you, you, whether you, you know, when you're on a Saturday, you want to have 5,000 on something. Five dollars, and that's not me. Like I don't bet that big, but I, mm. I look. I certainly look at the liquidity there, and you could easily have five thousand on a horse a minute to go on Betfair, um, and it's usually better than the bookie. So I think that Betfair will go from strength to strength simply because of the way the environment has turned out. I think that the point of consumption tax was a real threat to them, and still is, and it's you know there. I think that even at eight or ten percent, I think they still. Maybe paying out fifty percent of their revenue, roughly, you know, which is a lot, you know. That's yeah, yeah. Um, and that's paying fifty percent of the revenue just in taxes and fees. That's you know before our own expenses. So they've got a very, very, very tight um, margin. Yeah, so that, that's what I think about Betfair, and I think that you know it's it's here to stay. It's it's, it's great, and in this world where innovation is everything, you know, we can't. It, 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 all racing regulators need to realise that it, it, it has to stay and you, it's a bit like Uber, you know, like you, mm. you have to allow because it's just a better way to do things and allowing people to lay horses and back horses is the way to go these days. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. And just on New South Wales, um, I think it was, it was last year, 2017, that um, as a result of their their fees that they they increased commission on New South Wales to ten percent. Mm. Have you noticed that having an impact on liquidity? Just a little bit. Concerned? I think uh, not really, which is sort of a good thing. I think that yeah. um, I think that they probably find it very difficult on New South Wales racing, um, but sort of write it off a bit to keep people on their website and keep people engaged. Um, so I wouldn't imagine they're making much money in New South Wales racing. Mm. I also think that where they, where it gets very expensive with Betfair is when people are trading in and out on, on, because Betfair only charge their clients on the end result of their trading, you know, so you know, they can trade back and lay a horse a thousand times and end up with a thousand dollars to nothing. And if that horse wins and they win a thousand dollars, well then Betfair only charge them whatever their fee is, but what racing New South Wales do is charge them Every time, every time there's a bet. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, that's, and I probably, if anything, you know, okay, well, if people can't trade on Betfair on New South Wales Racing, well, alright, you know, and Betfair mm-hmm. probably need to stop people from doing that. And if Racing New South Wales want to say, we don't want people trading on it, and, or we don't care, but we're not going to change the model to suit people trading on it, well, alright, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Hmm. And on the, I on, on the, on the corporate side, probably the last 12 months or so now, we've seen quite a bit of consolidation amongst the bigger players, um, as opposed to, you know, the, all the new players you're seeing coming in maybe five years ago. Um, how do you think they're placed and, and what do you think the future, um, looks like on that side of things? I think it's really interesting time. It's what's happening. I think that they're going to find it incredibly hard, the corporate bookies. Um, I think that 
they have to cut their marketing spend. And I kind of think it's at the point now where, and I don't understand marketing, I don't understand corporate bookmaking, uh, the model of how it works like, like they would. But I think that everyone in Australia knows that there's corporate book is out there. Mm. And I kind of feel that if you haven't opened an account yet, well, you're sort of not going to. And I understand there's new generations coming through, so but let's just talk about the now. So I think that they have to cut their marketing right back. You know, like they're all, they all spend 50 to 100 million on marketing and they all end up breaking about square for the year after that big spend. So, you know, probably now they have no choice but to cut back on that to start making a bit of money. And it's probably fine that they did because it saturated the market. So that's one aspect. I think that I, I, I'm quite surprised by the, what that stars group has spent so much money. I don't understand the strategy. I don't see how they can afford to spend as much money as they have. Um, it's yeah, really, really interesting. Just on the stars group. So, in effect, they bought the majority stake in, in Crown Debt and then in turn in, in Williamville, Australia. Yeah, and I think, I think the buying Crown Debt, I think that I can understand that. But to pay 300 million for the William Hill business, I just don't really understand when I don't know. I, I would imagine that most of the people that are betting with uh, William Hill probably have already had an account in some way with um, Crownbet as well. Um, mm. And it just seems an awful amount of money to pay for a business that wasn't really making any money for a very long time. Um, people sort of say that it's all to do with uh, sports betting coming in America, but I don't really understand where the, where the correlation with that is. And, and and there's also, you know, they're big into poker, so maybe they're looking at poker laws being more relaxed in Australia and, and, and online gaming becoming easier in Australia. But I find that weird too, because we have a pretty anti-gambling government in, you know, they, mm-hmm. um, and you can see that with all the regulations that are slapped on them. So, yeah, yeah but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm cheering them on hard. I want um, as many cities out there doing as well as possible. Um, so they've got a big challenge in mean, it. Everyone's got a big challenge. Sports bet, they're going to have, you know, probably a third of their profit taken from them by this point of consumption tax. So that takes them from a really successful, profitable business to, you know, a more mediocre one. Yep. Um, and, you know, the mid-tier bookies that, um, you know, the smaller bookies are not too bad because there's a threshold with the point of consumption tax. Um, so, and that's great for us because we want as many people out there as possible bookmaking is possible so that, you know, we can get the market moving and, and, and have more places to bet. Um, yep. so look, it, it, it's going to be a struggle. I think the next couple of years are going to be really slow for everybody, I think. And then finally, I think a bit of common sense will prevail and these governments will pare back that point of consumption tax somewhere between sort of five and eight percent. Um, and some of the racing regulators, you know, like I know racing crew just jacked up their fees a bit. And there's intricacies with the way that these regulators char- uh, charge their taxes, especially with Victoria. They, you know, they have this system where they, if you, if the bookie makes more money, if the bookie wins a lot, they charge them, um, on, on their profit. So they charge them, I think, like 30% of their profit. And if the next day they, they break square or lose, they charge them on turnover. The word <laughs> manifestly unfair is that, um, you know, one, one day you can win a million dollars and you pay 300,000 in, in uh, in profit tax, and the next day you break square, but you still turn over five million, and they charge you whatever two percent of five million, uh, yeah. ten thousand or something. So, mm. whereas you really, you know, I mean, it's just it's just 
crazy. It's been going on for three or four years now. I don't understand how they continue to do it. I think a little bit of it is that betting on Victorian racing is such an important thing for bookies that they run it at a at a break even or a loss just to keep the punters on their website and betting on other things where they make more money. But eventually they might just be like, yeah, fuck this. Um, yeah. The bookies might just be like, fuck this, we're going to, you know, stop betting on Victorian racing. So, um, and Victorian racing, I mean, they can do what they want, really. It's, uh, it's their product, but... Um, yeah, so just little things like that. I think there's going to, in a couple of years' time, I think that there will be a bit of a reckoning and um, people will realise that they've pushed the bookies too far. And the bookies deserve what they've got. Like, they've got their medicine, they've got it good. Like, they were very, very arrogant um, for many, many years and basically, you know, did what they wanted. And the industry has caught up with them in every single aspect. And, you know, like, it's very much advantaged government at the moment. Like, it was probably, you know, in... Uh, Sort of 20 to 10 years ago was advantage corporate bookie. They were, they had everything they wanted. Then sort of, you know, five to 10 years ago was advantage punter. Um, because, you know, we could, well, probably, for, I guess for the last 10 years, you could probably say advantage punter. I know that the minute, the minimum bet law, um, was a bit of a stumbling block and we got through that, but there was, you know, great, um, diversity in the market and there was lots of places to get bets on and, and really, really great value. Um, mm. and now it's, and the government have caught up and said, hang on, we want our whack, and I think it's advantage government now, and I think there needs to be recalibration where um, all three sides are equally represented, you know, the bookies, the punters, and the government all getting their fair share of what's of what they deserve out of the industry. Um, yeah. I think that we'll get there in a couple of years, and it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating where we're at, and I think we could do so much better as an industry, and I think that, and I've sort of mooted to a few people who could do this, that we need to sort of form a coalition of bookies and punters and, and get control back of our industry. We lost control of our industry because of sort of unconscionable practice by the bookies in terms of they weren't paying their fair work and they were treating punters poorly. But that's been um, scored out now. And I think that we need to go to the government and say, hey, as an industry, we're more responsible and we can do better, and you guys need to stop interfering so much and let us run our own industry, and we won't interfere so much in the wider community like we were when, you know, the whole Tom Waterhouse thing and, and that whole such saturation of sport when basically the whole community were like, hey, can you guys piss off out of our, um, out of our sporting culture because we don't want you here? Yep. Um, but it's a bit, you know, like it's, it's a Maybe a bit too long as well to book bow to draw, but it's a bit like the lockout laws in Sydney, like they've tried to, it, it, you know, the lockout laws, I believe, have gone too far and they've completely killed the nightlife. Well, I think mm. that the, um, sort of the recalibration of the industry has gone too far and now it's too hard, um, for bookies. And in turn, I think that's going to have a detriment, um, for punters as well. So there needs to be a bit of a, an evening up there. And, you know, it's just basically like in play betting, in play betting should be allowed. You know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And, um, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and the reason it wasn't allowed is because it was just a square up from the government to the bookie to, you know, thwarted the, um, the rules for so long and did what they wanted. And the government just said, you know what, we're going to ban it and there's nothing you can do about it. Probably yeah. take a couple of years for that. Look at that. But back to my point about what I was saying was that, um, the bookies on their own will get nowhere. But if they come together with the punters and we, 
you know, go to the industry and say, go to the government and say, look, we want to set up this overarching regulator federally, um, and it's going to be fairly represented between regulators, bookies, cabs, and punters. I think the industry would be so much better off. Um, yeah. And I, I'd be totally up for, for getting involved, but, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, you did just touch briefly on, on advertising there. It's something that has paired back a bit probably from the, the real Halcyon days and the Tom Waterhouse days, as everyone calls them. Yep. Um, there has been some talk of bringing, you know, putting some regulations in around TV advertising, but it is still sports-wise. It's, it's everywhere online and YouTube and everywhere you look. Um, what are your thoughts on the advertising side? And um, I, I think that, um, on my, me personally, I think that there should be like I don't, I don't think that they should cross to, you know, Joel Kane from Sportsbet before the game and get his idea on the odds. Um, mm. I think that Sportsbet should absolutely be allowed a passive role, like they, you know, they can put their name on the back of a jumper and they can have, you know, billboards at the ground and that kind of stuff. But I don't think that, um, you know, they should it should be part of the coverage. I also don't think there should be ads during it. Um, yeah. I think that. Um, yeah, because it's, you know, it's just, you know, kids, nothing's more important to most kids in Australia than watching the footy. And they don't need to start to be taught that gambling is part of sport. Um, yeah. and that's coming from me. Like, I love it more than anything. And, and, and gambling should be part of sport. But, um, you know, like, just like, you know, yeah, you know, it, it should be, Protecting the kids is much tougher. And they're still going to know about it. They're still going to see the lab broke signs on the jerseys and say, hey, Dad, what, what's lab broke? Mm. And, um, and then, you know, the, the parents can talk to their kids however they see fit. And ultimately, the kids can make their own decisions when they turn 18. So um, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Other people might be different. But, you know, when I speak to a lot of other people who are just as ferocious gamblers as I am and, and, and want to do it 24-7, universally, I think that most people say, you know, leave the bookies out of um, out of the, the sports broadcast um, mm. and let them advertise in different ways and, uh, yeah, more responsibly, I guess. So, um, yeah. Mm. And you're a parent yourself, we should add? Two kids. Yep. Two kids, right in the thick of the moment. One's 11 weeks old and the other one's at two and a half. Right. And the two and a half year old's just starting to have a bit of an idea of what racing is and why it's always on and she cheers and stuff which is pretty fun. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And also, just, just on, I guess, to, to finish things up, just you yourself are an experienced punter. You said you've been at it for about 20 years. Um, it's mostly punters listening to this at, at different stages of their punting life. They might have been at it for, for decades like you or, or might be at the other end. Um, what are your major pieces of advice for, for punters out there, for perhaps more casual punters and part-timers, if you like? Um, I think you want to try and talk to as many people as you can. I think you need to realise that, um, and that's not always easy, um, and a lot of times trying to talk to people, people are going to sort of hold things against their chest a little bit, and they're not going to completely every bit of information because people want to keep their edge. Um, but small things helps a lot, and I think that, Having good form is only as good as how well you bet, and I think you need to learn how to trade the market, and that really only comes from 
sitting down and, and analysing the market and working and trying to work out when you can get on to the top of the market because, you know, the distance between the betting at the top of the market and the bottom of the market is, is everything. You know, it's, it's the distance between losing, being a pretty significant losing punter and being a pretty significant winning punter. Yes. So you need to learn how to do that. I think that there's a huge amount of information out there and like, if there's someone out there who wants to become a winning punter, like, the information is out there. It's readily available. You can go and buy it. You just need to sit down and, and put the hard yards in. And if you can get to the point where, you know, you start making money for a year or so, and then you go through a bad run of a month or two, don't doubt yourself. Maybe bed down a little bit, but just keep pushing through because you just need to stay consistent. And if you, you know, it's easy to like fill up and then have like a bad week and go, oh, I'm going to change this, going to change that. Well, you know, you just need to stay consistent and, and, and be ready to have a period of, of, of losing for three months or six months or a year. Like I've had periods where I've broken even for a year and, that's frustrating and I've wanted to change things but then I've spoken to some, you know, some people who have mentored me and they've been like, no, just hang in there. And, and I have made a couple of tweaks to my form and this and that, but predominantly I've, I've stuck to my sort of core foundations and, and they've come back again. Um, because, you know, like I'm not trying to like shoot the lights out. I'm like, I'm just trying to make a small percentage on turnover year on year. Um, and anyone who's trying to shoot the lights out, well, they will. They'll come in and they might make a couple million bucks, but, the lead just as quickly if they're not smart enough to pull out. So, um, yeah, so it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a, a period of, um, of not making money or even losing a little bit and sure, bet down a bit because, you know, we've all got expenses and, you, and your bank, your bank does drop. But, uh, but don't let yourself go out of play, but also don't, um, don't change things too much. I think that's probably been my broad advice. Hmm. Good one. Um, that's probably about us for today. So, um, yeah, thanks for the chat. Very interesting on a, 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 a range of issues and um, how things might start to look in the future. So, thanks for your time and, uh, yeah, happy pumping. Good stuff, mate. I enjoyed it and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Cheers. So, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Winning Edge Investments podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes and you won't miss any future episodes. Uh, you can also find Winning Engine Investments on all of the usual social media channels, such as Facebook and Twitter. So let us know over there if you have any questions or if you just want to have a chat about punting. And, of course, you can also head over to our website, winningengineinvestments.com. Uh, you'll find any other news and, and information on the packages that we have on offer in conjunction with all the professional punters we work with. And you can also sign up to our free weekly newsletter, and you'll get those pros' best tips straight to your inbox every Friday. So until next time, happy punting. My name's Mark Haywood. Thanks for listening.